You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Hi, Cornelia. We are beginning week two of our three-week series on wounds and woundedness. And I think it's very appropriate that we are studying this at this time because there's so many hurting people whether it be COVID or whether it just be personal things in their lives that they're struggling. And so I think this is real appropriate that we talk about this at this time. Pastor Andrew last week talked about recognizing the different types of wounds, whether it be physical wounds or emotional wounds. He talked about his son broke his collarbone, so he had a physical wound. But there are other kinds of wounds that are there, and sometimes those emotional wounds uh, can last for a long time. I am involved in facilitating a self-esteem group currently, and in the self-esteem group, I like to talk about the stages that we go through in life, the stages of life, from birth to death. The first stage would be childhood, then would become the teenage years, then young adulthood, then right in here, it can fluctuate, it can change a little bit, and you, you may start a career, or you may go to college, or you may get married. That, that kind of fluctuates in there. But you get married and you have kids, then your kids start having, uh, leave the house and you have the empty nest stage. Then you have grandparenthood because your kids start having kids, and then you have retirement, old age, and death. There's stages that we tend to progress through. I draw that on a line, and I tell people, here from birth to death, and I'm right about here. I'm telling them, man, look how close to death it is. That's, that's kind of scary. But there are stages that we progress through. Within those stages, there are significant events that occur. Uh, and they don't have to be major things to be significant, but those significant events, there's, there's often associated negative self-talk related to those significant events. And it's important to get at those that self-talk because it programs how we view, how we view life, how we view ourselves, how we view ourselves in life. And so you have to get at that negative self-talk. We want to talk about the healing process. That's week two today. We're going to talk about this healing process. And then next week, Pastor Andrew will finish it up and we'll talk about becoming wounded healers. But I want to talk about a process that we go through to heal the wounds. And the wounds don't just happen last week or last month or last year. Those wounds can happen in the very child stages, in the adolescent stages, they can happen in there, the significant events, and the self-talk gets in, and you can carry those wounds for a long time. For example, when I was in elementary school, I had some problems with reading. I had a few minor learning disorders, and so reading was not easy for me. So in the second grade, the teacher gave everyone in the class reading assignments, different reading assignments. Thank God she let us take those reading assignments home. She said, take these home, read these, and then next week you have to get up in front of the class and give a verbal presentation on what you read. In the stinking second grade, a verbal presentation, 
Now, I know as an adult what the teacher was doing. The teacher was trying to get us used to standing up in front of groups and not being afraid to speak out in front of groups. But for me, that was very difficult. That was terrifying. So I did my reading, came back the next week. Everyone's taking their turn, and then it's my turn. So I get up in front of the class in the second grade. I get up in front of the class, and I give my review, my talk. And when I finished, they all laughed and it wasn't intended to be funny. That was a significant event in my life. I remember that, and this self-talk, I remember thinking, you're stupid. They're all smarter than you are. You made a fool out of yourself. This negative self-talk started creeping in and started influencing how I viewed myself. That was so significant that there was a girl who sat in front of me before the teacher, and I made sure I hid behind her head. I blocked the eye contact with the teacher because I didn't want the teacher to see me and call me to go up in front of the class again and be stupid. At the same time, when you're seven, eight years old, you're kind of clumsy. You knock stuff over, you break stuff, you spill your milk, you, stuff like that. When I, at home, whenever I would spill my milk, my dad would say, you dumb ox. What is wrong with you, you dumb ox? So I was dumb at home and stupid at school. What do you think that does to a little boy's self-image and what he's even willing to try to do? I found myself just isolating. I became very shy, withdrawn. I didn't want to volunteer to do much of anything. Significant event. Some people are going to say, come on, man, suck it up. That isn't that big of a deal. We're not trying to have a competition to see who had the worst history. It's just recognizing the events in our life and how they wound, how they influence how we perceive. And you can carry that stuff for a long time, for years, decades, you can carry those wounds. For example, when I was in graduate school, I, had, uh, I was doing some practicum on my work as a marriage and family therapist, and I went into nursing homes, and I worked with geriatric therapeutic services, and we worked from Fresno to Bakersfield, and I went into different nursing homes. Well, I found out that there's a pretty strong correlation between living long and going to church. Because those people, they all went to church. They all went to church all their life. And they have these hymns that they grew up on, these favorite hymns. And the, the hymns that people wrote long ago that were in our hymn book really came out of a lot of life tragedies, a lot of wounds, a lot of hurts. Some of the ways they would work through it is they would just sit down and write a poem. They would write something about it, and it helped them to process it. So a lot of those hymns came out of life tragedies. So I had this group of people that I met, and Reedley, one of my friendship groups, was over 100 people. There were 100 people in this friendship group, and they would come, and I would ask them, hey, what's your favorite hymn? And they would tell me, and I would tell them, hey, you want to know the story behind that hymn? I'd tell them the story, and then out of these life crises, then we'd sing that song, and then I would say, so if you were going to write a hymn, what would you write about? And they tell me all of the negative things, all the hurt, all those events in their life that influenced what they became and things that have influenced their life quality. So the activities director one day asked me, she says, what are you doing? We can't get people to leave their rooms. We have activities for them to do. They don't want to leave their rooms. Leave us alone. The day you're here, they want up two hours early because they don't want to miss your group. What are you doing? 
So I said, well, come in and watch. So she did. She came in and she watched me use music in therapy. So she asked me one day, a couple of weeks later, she said, hey, would you be willing to do a teaching on using music in therapy with, with some people that we have that we're going to meet with? And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, half a dozen or a dozen activities directors for different nursing homes. Yeah, I could, I'll do that. I can do that. And so she came back the next week and she said, okay, you're one of eight speakers and it's at Fresno State University. And I'm like, Fresno State? Um, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, I'm like, what's going on here? So it's a Saturday. I show up on Saturday. I walk into this lecture hall and there's 200 PhD students doctoral students that I'm supposed to give a one-hour lecture to. You know what thoughts went through my mind? You're stupid. They're all smarter than you are. You're going to make a fool out of yourself. This stuff from the second grade came rushing back into my mind, and it just began to over. I wanted to go throw up. Okay? I, I'm like, this is not what I thought. I went out looking for that woman who canned me, conned me into doing this to tell her, I can't do this. This is not what I thought it was. But I do another talk with people that come into my office and we talk about the masks that we wear. A lot of people think a mask is negative. I think a mask is positive, okay? Uh, right now, I have my pastor's mask on. If you saw me with my wife eating dinner, you'd see me with my social mask. If you saw me with my grandkids, you'd see me with my daddy mask. The situation warrants the mask that we wear. So I do this talk with people, and I'm out there wanting to throw up because I don't want to give this talk. And I said to myself, okay, Roger, you talk to people about the power they have to choose to put a mask on. Put a different mask. Put your creative artistic mask on and go give this talk. So I go into this lecture hall. I walk in there, and I start my lecture by saying, what are you all feeling right now? Okay, I don't, I don't know, maybe your, your bottom hurts because you've been sitting here so long, or maybe you had a fight with your wife and you're upset, or I don't know what you're feeling. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to just get in touch with what you're feeling right now. And so I gave about 10 seconds of silence, and then I started singing a hymn. And as I sang this hymn, this, I know it was the Spirit of God that came into that room and they began to just weep, these people, as this hymn was being sung. And then when I finished, I said, now what are you feeling? And I talked to them about the power of music in therapy. About a week after I'd given that talk, that woman who calmed me into that, she came, she said, you know, they did a review at the end of the day, and she said, your session was by far the most impacting session of the day. And I didn't even want to give it. I wanted to go throw up because they're all smarter than I am. Stuff from the second grade, those wounds from the second grade, and what most would think is just an insignificant thing was significant, but it's the self-talk that gets implanted. And so I want to talk about uh, a process of working through, and it's called the ABCs, the ABCs of, of receiving healing for those wounds. But before we do, there's a scripture that I want you to it'd be great to memorize it if you'll just write down Psalms 34, 17 through 19. And at some point when you have some time on your own, I want you to read this and declare it. 
Pastor Andrew last week had us take our shoes off and make a declaration, make a stand. This is something that would be good for all of us to do, for you to do on your own. But here's the scripture verse. It says, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed or wounded in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Oftentimes, people get in stuck in this mindset that God is all-powerful, and being that, nothing bad is going to happen. He will never let anything bad Not That isn't the case. God says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. We are going to go through difficult times, but he says, I am there to deliver you out of them all. That's a promise from God. Holding on to that promise is one of the ways that we get through the healing process. But I want to talk about, from the book of Ruth, I want to talk about it's specifically Naomi and Ruth later on, and the life of Naomi and the things that she went through. So if you're going to overcome wounds, you've got to do the ABCs. The A in the ABCs is you've got to identify the activating event. What is the event? I gave you one example of childhood. The event was being laughed at in school, okay? For her in this story, what are the activating events? And so if you have a Bible, you can turn or you can watch the screen. Uh, uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter one, verses one through five. And it says, now it came about in the days when the judges governed. So this is before the kings of Israel, when the judges were governing, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. So there is this famine that occurs, and this man and his woman, they've got to find uh, food for their family. So they take off their, to sojourn means they're just going to go for a short time looking for a way to find sustenance for them. And it says, and the name of the man was Elimelech. <clears throat> As I tell this story, I want to just mention the meanings of the names. The Eli is the name for God, and so Elimelech means God is king or my God is king. So Elimelech means my God is king, and the name of his wife was Naomi. <clears throat> Naomi means pleasant. Now, here's this is interesting, and the names of his two sons were Malan, which means weak or sickly, and Chilion which means failing or pining away. So what it's, what it's saying here is they have two boys that are very sick. They're weak. They have health problems. And that's one of the reasons why I believe they had to leave during the famine for the safety and well-being and the care of these boys that were sickly. So they have these two boys. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, they, they, they went to Moab, and then he died while there. And she was left with her two sons. So this woman has to leave her home, all her friends. She travels to a foreign land, doesn't know anyone, with her sickly boys, and her husband dies. How many things, how many wounds is she going through in this story here? Uh, and she was left with her two sons, and they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. So these men, as they grew, they became marrying age, and they took two wives. And the name of the one was Orpah. Orpah actually means neck. 
Okay, now that may mean she was just a stiff-necked, cranky old buzzard, or I think it probably refers to, in the Song of Solomon, he talks about his lover, and he refers to her neck in an endearing way, it's like the cedars of Lebanon that can be climbed. And, and so I think it's a term of endearment that he is referring to her beauty, okay? But her name needs, means neck. And the name of the other was Ruth. And Ruth means friendship. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So what are the activating events? What are the wounds that she's inflicted? She, she has to leave her home. She has these weak boys. Her husband dies. Both of her boys die. She has just loss after loss after loss that she's going through. Now, as I tell this story, I'm not telling it to cast stones at Naomi because I I would, if my wife and my two kids were to die, I would have some real problems as well, okay? So I'm not, I'm, I'm just telling this story to show the process that she went through and the depths of the struggles that she faced. So what are the beliefs that come out of this death and this loss that she's had? So she gets ready to go back. She's like, I have nothing here in Moab. Hey, there's nothing for me. So she's going to go back to, to uh, Bethlehem, and she gets ready to leave, and her two daughters-in-law follow her, and she tells them, don't, go back to your families. I don't have anything. I'm, I have nothing for you. There was a, a, a concept called the Leviatic marriage. It's, it's a tradition that in the Jewish culture that if a man died and he didn't have children, the next of kin, either a brother or a close relative, would actually take the woman on, marry her, and raise kids in the name of the deceased man. And Naomi says, I don't have any more sons for you. And I, even if I was married and could have more sons, would, would you wait? And look at, at Ruth 1, 13, and then 19 through 21. And I want you, what are the beliefs that she's forming about herself and God. So listen to this. She says to the girls, would you therefore wait until they're grown if I were to have more sons? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. She's be developing these beliefs. God is against me because of the losses that she's gone through. So she tells the girls, you need to go back to your families. Orpah, she, she listens, and she is weeping, and she gives her mother-in-law a kiss, and she goes back to her family. But Ruth, she says, I won't leave you. Where you go, I will go. What you eat, I will eat. Where you sleep, I will sleep. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. She makes this pledge, I will never leave you. And so these two women, Naomi and Ruth, they go back to Bethlehem. When they, when they uh, enter Bethlehem, uh, the, the people recognize them. They've been gone 10 years. Naomi's been gone. And they're like, this is Naomi. Look, it's Naomi, everyone. And, and she says to them, look in, in, uh, in verse uh, 19, she says, and she said to them, don't call me Naomi, which we've already said means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, I'm no longer pleasant, I'm bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? What is she believing about herself? If you're going to get at the wounds and work at bringing healing, you've got to identify the activating events. And then what are the beliefs that you're forming? The self-talk that we've referred to earlier. What are the beliefs that you're forming about yourself and about life and about God? The, the negative things we go through influence what we believe. And then what are at sea, what are the consequences of maintaining those beliefs? So if you believe that God is against you and God is doing everything and you're just bitter and angry, now what are the consequences of holding on to that? It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your livelihood. Here's a verse in Hebrews that I think is real important. Hebrews 12, 15. It says, don't let a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by it, many become defiled. If you let that bitterness take hold, it, he says, it will defile you. It will pollute you. So you've got to watch out for that root of bitterness that, that sets in. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. As they go to Jerusalem, um, I'm going to refer to this in a minute, but Ruth goes out to a field to glean uh, the crops that are left over so they have food to eat. And while she's out there, there's a man by the name of Boaz. Okay, Boaz means swiftness. He was very swift in the things that he did. And he noticed this new woman gleaning in his field. So he asked his, his foreman, hey, who's that, who's that cute little thing out there in the, in the field? And he says, that's Ruth, Naomi's daughter. And he goes, oh, I've heard about this. She's kind of the talk of the town. How, how upright, how, what character that she has. And he says, I, I want her to, to glean in our field and go nowhere else. So he goes out and he, he talks to her and he says, I, I want you to stay in our field. He eventually goes on to, to want to marry her. He wants to apply that, that Levitic marriage custom that they have. And so he goes to the city gates where they do the business. And in Ruth 4.3, it says, Then he, Boaz, said to the closest relative, Naomi, who came back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. One of the consequences of what she was believing is she loses what she has. She's got to sell her property just to survive. So if, as you blame God, these things start to, to, to occur. What, what are the consequences of maintaining the beliefs that you formed? What are you going through, church? What kinds of experiences have you gone through during this COVID pandemic? Are there family members that have been lost? What's going on in your life? What kind of beliefs have you formed about yourself? And then you've got to D. You have the activating event, the beliefs about the, the situation, the consequences of maintaining the beliefs, and the D, you've got to dispute the beliefs. In Psalms 147.3, it says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And it's recognizing that as you dispute the beliefs and you begin to change your focus away from all of the negative that's happened and focus on who God is and what God wants to do in your life, then things begin to happen. And as you begin to dispute the beliefs, look in, with me in, in Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God provides. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, 
Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from the water with the servants. He's saying, I don't want you to go somewhere else because it might be dangerous. I want you to stay here where you're going to be safe. I want you to know that God restores. And uh, Boaz, he goes to the city. He wants to, to, to marry her. But there's one kinsman that is, that is more in line than Boaz. He, he gets the first choice. So... He, he asks this kinsman, he says, do you want to redeem the land from, from Naomi? And, but if you do, and the, the man said, yeah, I want the land. I, I want the, to redeem the land. He says, but if you do, you also have to take Ruth as your wife, and you've got to raise up children in the name of her deceased husband. And the next of kin is like, that's going to cause problems in my family. He says, no. I give up my redemptive rights, you can have her. And so Boaz, he, he redeems it. He takes the land, he takes uh, Ruth on as his wife. They get married and they have a child together. And I want you to see how God restores. In, in chapter four, verses 14 and 15, it says, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be you, to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for you, you daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. So she gives birth to a boy out of this relationship, this marriage with Boaz. They have a child together. So God restores. Here's a son that's been born to you. In uh, verse 16, it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in the lap, and, and, and Ruth became the nurse or the caregiver. She's going to raise this child up. Now she's given this child back. God restores a child back to her. And this is really interesting as well. In verse 17, it says, And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they recognize this child is going to be raised up as Naomi's grandchild. God has given her a son to replace the sons that were taken. So they named him Obed. Obed means red. So this kid either had red hair or his skin was really red. But they said, this kid's name is Red. He is the father, it says, of Jesse, which means God exists or the Lord exists. So this son, Obed, becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, King David, the beloved. Because of Naomi's faithfulness and her turning back to God and her roots, that God put her in the lineage of David, and David is in the lineage of Christ. She is in the lineage of the Savior of the world. And that's how God rewarded her. So you've got to identify the activating event. What are your beliefs that you're forming about the event? What are the consequences? What are you going to lose? Where's this going to take you if you maintain these negative beliefs? And then you've got to dispute. You've got to change. You've got to challenge. I believe you've got to focus on who you are in Christ. You, you've got to to, to learn to forgive people that have offended you because God calls us to, to forgive. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He says you need to love others. You need to choose to love others. There are things that we do to dispute, to change these negative beliefs. And then I think you need to E, evaluate regularly. You need to look at things regularly because those events, those significant events, they tend to happen all during your life, not just in the last five years, but it could have been 50 years ago for some of you, that you need to evaluate regularly what, what situation, what's happened, what am I believing, and so that you can work through this. I remember the story of a man named Cleland McAfee, and he found out in the early 1900s, he found out that two of his nieces died of diphtheria on the same day and went into a kind of a grieving time. And the, the way he worked through it is he, he wrote a poem and then he, he put some music to it. And the first time this song was ever sung was at the funeral of his two nieces. The song goes like this. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest, near to the heart of God. O oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. The other verses say, there is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God a place where we, our Savior, meet near to the heart of God. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God, a place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. But what we need to do is draw near to our God. I truly believe that the, way to, the true way to overcome the wounds is, can only come through your faith and drawing near to the heart of God. So you've got to evaluate regularly. You've got to look at what's going on because we all have various experiences and some are just devastating. So I want to also just bring out just real quickly because we're about to run out of time. How do wounds cause growth? And Pastor Andrew is going to talk about this, becoming a wounded healer next week. I don't know that he'll use these points, but here's just four things that, that wounds will, will bring about growth. Wounds will deepen your faith because your faith will grow as you have to work through and press through. All growth comes from facing and working through difficulties, those trials. Wounds cause maturity. You will grow as you press through those. Wounds teach compassion. People that have lost loved ones, they have a deeper compassion for people that are going through that than others. And wounds actually create courage. Here's an interesting thought. Boaz became the redeemer, and he paid the price so that Ruth could become his bride. That is a perfect picture of Jesus. Jesus came, and he paid the price so that we could become his bride. That's where you want to press in, near to the heart of God. So as we close our time, there's four questions that I really want to ask you so I want you to, to just really contemplate on these. What pain from your past is restricting your anticipation for the future? What are the things that you've gone through that are holding you back? 
making it difficult to believe, to look forward to, with expectation to what God has for you. How many people come into my office and say, if God was so powerful, why would he allow this to happen? I don't know that God is that powerful. I don't even know if I believe in God. They, they get off on that negative thought process because the pain has become so overwhelming. What is the pain that you have experienced? Secondly, do I have a false belief that my life wounds are an indication that God has abandoned me. Here's a scripture out of Isaiah 43, 1-5. This is important. Thus says the Lord your creator and he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. There's the redeemer. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, not if you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight. You are honored, and I love you. Do not fear, for I am with you. The beliefs that you formed, are you believing that God has abandoned you? This verse talks about God has abandoned you. He is there. He is on your side. He will provide. He will, he will prosper you. His hand will be upon you. Here's the third question I want you to ask yourself. How have I been wounded or who have I wounded that I need to surrender to the Lord? It's drawing near to the heart of God and giving up those wounds and those hurts. Who is it that has hurt you and do you need to forgive? To forgive doesn't mean to forget. To forgive means to surrender your right to judge. I need to surrender that to God. And finally, why is it so difficult to share my wounds with others and let them help me through them? People have a hard time going up and talking about the, the wounds, those things that have afflicted them, those hurts out of embarrassment or, or uh, they, they feel like they're weak or there's a whole host of reasons why people don't go, I want to challenge you this week. Find someone. Call the church. Get in touch with someone and share something that has been holding you back. Taking that step frees God. It frees God to work through somebody else to help you through the wounds. If you won't want to overcome those wounds, you've got to learn your ABCs. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for each person that is listening to this simulcast here. I pray, Lord God, that you will begin to reveal the, in the inner recesses of their being those things that have been so pushed down, so repressed, that have affected them and continue to affect them. Help them, Lord God, set them free from the things that so easily entangle. Lord, the, the roots of bitterness, I pray that you would begin to do the work to pluck those roots out, Lord God, that you will set them free so that we then can be in a place where we can take the things that have gone through us and use them to be wounded healers. We pray and we ask these things in your blessed name. Amen. Amen. Share that with someone this week, something you've gone through. Maybe they'll share with you as well. God bless. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at caseyhamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.